Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy, co-founder of KidsViews.com. I am here today with Amy Oztan of SelfishMom.com and Andrea Smith, a resident tech guru. I'm just going with that now. That's how we're calling it now. <laughs> and um, we are here today in the New York studio. We're all here, which is a great treat to all be in the same place at the same time. We're going to jump right in and talk about three topics today. The first, we have a guest joining us, Dan Tynan who writes the Modern Family column on Yahoo Tech. And we're going to be talking about a new app that every parent should know about, <laughs> at least this week. And then we're going to talk about our second topic, which is actually a conference that Andrew and I went to called Sandbox Summit. We have an interview with one of the founders, or I guess run, or people who run the conference. She wasn't a founder, but they're running it now, Allison Bryant of Play Science. And then we're gonna jump into our digital dilemmas of the week and our bites of the week. So let's jump right in. We have Dan on the phone. Hi, Dan. Hi, good afternoon, ladies. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Dan, you've been, um, it's so good to have you here actually because you and I have worked together for a couple of years and I know you are a master of trying to figure out new and creative ways of uh, wrangling your, your kids in with technology. Sometimes they wrangle you, I think, but uh, you've pretty much mastered this, and I love reading your Modern Family column. So this past week you wrote about this new app, live streaming app called YouNow. Tell us about it. Sure. Um, first, I have to say that uh, in, it's a battle of cat and mouse with my kids, and I'm still <laughs> not sure whether I'm the mouse. <laughs> um, yes, YouNow is a live casting website, uh, and where, how it works is really simple. Uh, using um, either a laptop webcam or a phone camera, your teenagers can both watch other people, you know, doing whatever they happen to be doing in front of the camera at that moment, or they can livecast themselves, um, you know, talking to the camera and singing or playing music or doing backflips. It doesn't really matter. Um, and while they're doing this, uh, there's a live chat going on in text so that it's complete strangers will be asking them questions, uh, asking them to do things on camera, and so forth. Uh, and a lot of this happens late at night in their bedrooms without the parents being aware. So you can see there's a little bit of a potential for some trouble. How is this different from like a chat roulette? I mean, I just feel like every year there's a new scary sort of live streaming webcam based app. Yes, it's actually much better than chat roulette. <laughs> uh, or, God, or I Google. hope so. Or chat now, or on the right. hundreds, perhaps thousands of competitors, um, for one big reason, which is it's moderated. And so they have a team of moderators uh, who are 24/7 in multiple languages, and so they're constantly on watch for, you know, people doing things they shouldn't do on camera, for people asking questions they shouldn't be asking or making requests they shouldn't be making. Um, they also have a pretty large community of people who flag these things. Uh, and so when I've been on it, various times I've sampled the various channels, uh, I've never really seen anything bad. Uh, I've seen a few teenagers doing booty dances. That's about as bad as it gets. You'll get worse on YouTube. Yeah, uh, that's for sure. And I have seen people actually booted. If someone gets booted from a, a room or a channel, um, it actually says user so-and-so has been banned from this room. So, um, you know, for that alone, uh, it's definitely superior and much preferable to the Omegles and the chat 
lose that to the world. But still, you know, as a parent, you really need to be aware of what your kids are doing, and most parents are not. Well, I think the scariest part of it for me, there's a money component, right? Like people who are doing things on camera, they can get people to send them things virtually, but then they share in the profit. Yes. That's so, terrifying. You know, like, well, or, or possibly lucrative, depending <laughs> on how talented your child is. Um, <clears throat> I interviewed a dad uh, who happens to be one of the few adults with a, a UNOW channel. Uh, he's an art professor in North Carolina, uh, and he got on to you now because his son got on you now, and his son is very popular. He has 150,000 fans, and his son pulls in four figures a month huh. from you now. Uh, and the way you make money on you now is people um, give you gifts. Like you know, you can click on a little emoji icon and you know send like a heart to someone, and that's free. But if you want to give them a certain number of likes to raise their ranking, that costs money. Uh, uh, it's Real about money? ninety. Real money, 90, Real money. 90 likes for a buck. So about, you know, a thousand likes for about 11 bucks. So, and that's just how people spend money, and you now just split the revenue with the person who's doing the live casting. Did this start, so, I remember reading about an app just like this in Asia, like a year ago, where um, it started out as sort of an American Idol kind of thing, and then just totally mm -hmm. morphed into... Basically this, but it was really performing. You had all these young women performing and all these men spending just gobs and gobs of money sending them virtual stuff. And there were all these incentives built in that you as the performer mm -hmm. would incentivize your viewers to be buying you this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's cruel and insidious, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, I, I don't know if that's empowering for young women um, in a, some sort of twisted way or if it's just um, sort of the strip club gone virtual in some respects. It seems to be, you know, I, I always mention this in my column when I wrote about it. It's sort of, it's disturbing on many levels, uh, particularly culturally. I mean, we have a culture where people are doing all their interacting with, you know, a tiny little dot on their camera, you know, the camera on the, the computer. So that alone is disturbing. Um, but what's, you know, more interesting to me was the fact that when I started this, I had never heard of you now. Um, some of the common sense media said, have you heard of you now? And I said, no. Uh, and then I asked every single adult I met for the next week, have you heard of you now? And not a one of them said yes. But when I asked my 16-year-old daughter, she knew all about it. <laughs> right. Isn't that amazing, that word of mouth? Yeah. I loved that line so about your daughter at the end, though, where she was like, why would I be on it? My friends might see me. <laughs> so yeah, excellent. Exactly. Yeah. After yeah. reading yeah, your, your article about it, I asked a bunch of adults, and none of them knew either. I asked my son, and he didn't know about it either. He's 13. And I was like, oh, great. You do now. I just told you. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they call it you now. <laughs> you do now. You next. Um, well, the thing is, you know, ultimately it comes down to, you know, do the kids have the, the computer or the phone in the room late at night? And right. What are they doing with it? And that's more than just you now. That's everything. Right? So, you know, the whole schmear, the whole, you know, Internet, um, the Snapchat, you know, the sort of the, the private lives of teenagers, which need to be private, but preferably during certain hours. Uh, you know, so you, I think your kids can use you now in a constructive and even positive way but you need to be aware of it, and you need to put some rules around it. So what, what's your take? What are, what are the rules that you think parents should employ on, on any of these kinds of apps? They're all kind of similar rules. I mean, you know, there's, there's, it depends on how old your kids are, obviously. Um, there's kind of like three major threats on the Internet. And the first one is when the kids are little, you're afraid they're going to stumble onto the, the seamy dark underbelly of the net. And then they're a little bit older, approaching middle school, 
you're afraid they're going to go looking for the seeming dark underbelly <laughs> in the net. And the third threat when they become teenagers is the seamy dark underbelly comes looking for them. So that's the last bit for you now. That's the sort of the threat there. It's the stranger danger, right? So you don't want, you know, creepy guys hitting on your teenage daughter while she's in your PJs in the room at midnight. So you don't want it to have, be in her room at midnight. And you want to be able to make her do it in a public space so they do it. You want to be able to be one of her subscribers. Mm. You know, like social media. You want to be friends with your kids on Facebook. You want to be a fan of your kid on you now. And you know, I put limits on it because people will do this all night. There are actually channels devoted to people sleeping. So That's they turn so the webcam <laughs> on and they go to bed. I don't see the fascination, but I'm not a teenager. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's, well, it's the same as anything else. One thing that you said that was so interesting, though, is that, you know, teenagers have a private life and a right to keep those lives private, but it seems like these private lives are, are intended to just public. be public. Yeah. Yeah. Public to a limited audience, however. Uh, when I've gone on these rooms, every so often you see someone says, oh, there's an adult here. <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as you enter the room, you show up on, you know, however, in front of your webcam? You can't just lurk? Well, actually, no, actually, it's your icon. If you log in, the thing about you now, which is also good, is you actually do have to log in using some kind of social media account, Google+, mm-hmm. Twitter, or Facebook. So you have some some uh, tenuous connection to reality, at least with the identity, and that your icon, your avatar, shows up. Okay. So that's what they see. It's not, it's not a one-on-one video chat like chat roulette. It's one person watching... You know, one person brought live casting and many people watching. So it's a real name. You have to use your real name. And is there an age restriction on it? Is it no one under 13? Mm-hmm. Oh, it has to yeah. be. There is an age, official age restriction, but they don't do any identity or age checking just like nobody else does either. Right, just like Twitter, <laughs> so, just like anyone. Yeah. And if you see somebody who's too young, you're supposed to flag it, and the moderator is supposed to go on and kick them off. Yeah, I can't even imagine what that back-end moderation looks like. That seems absurd to me. I just I don't even know how they could do that It, in it has time. to be cocaine-fueled. It no, has it has well, to be. Or Red Bull, at least. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I would think it has to be some sort of delay. I don't know how they could keep on top of that. Oh, well, it would be. Well, they have algorithms that apparently identify certain words in chat rooms and certain things. I'm not sure. He wouldn't. They wouldn't go into great detail with me because, you know, it's secret sauce and they don't want, right. you know, people figuring it out and reverse engineering it. So, but basically they have an algorithm that looks for stuff and it sends the moderator to that stuff. And then the human being decides, is this objectionable? And if so, they take action. Right. Wow, that sounds like um, a monster to scale. <laughs> I, I almost feel bad for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they have 100 million views a month, so it's pretty big. Wow. That's really interesting. You know, when you think about that and you think about Periscope, which is another thing that as kids mm-hmm. are using it, they just it, it's just live. There's, like, no time to take back your huge mistake you made or the thing you maybe shouldn't have shown or said. Right. You know, you can't take it down. Yes, although the other side, flip side is if there's just so many of these things, then it disappears in the crowd. Right. That's very Hopefully. true. That is very true. <laughs> right, that's what you hope. Well, cool. Great. So thank you for keeping us posted on this this new app that sure. uh, everybody should now know about. And we'll, not tell their children. Like, right. Don't ask your children if they know because then they'll know. Darn it. We hope you'll come back and join us again and, and tell us some more of your tips and tricks and uh, modern family, modern parenting stories. Sure. Terrific. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Thanks Dan. Dan. Thanks. Okay, so we're all going to go do a you now, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of my son and how he can, like, 
solve a Rubik's Cube in under a minute, like, would people pay him to see that? I don't know. They might. I kind of wonder what people do pay for, like what they think is worth you paying for. You know exactly for. what they pay for. <laughs> but they're, they're not allowed to, to, like, you get kicked out for inappropriate I'm gonna I don't know. Maybe an old, you know, scary guy would pay for that. But would a 12-year-old pay for I'm someone? I'm sure they're paying for people to, like, stick things up their nose <laughs> and so eat something gross. And, right? Huh. That's I don't so know. much more palatable but I will find, than the options, I will <laughs> find that article about the channel that started in Asia, because I actually think this is the same thing. Um, but that's what it was all about, is how these girls have become these giant, like, they're almost like pseudo-pop stars. And it's just guys spending thousands and thousands of dollars of virtual stuff mm. that they send them. And then the guys get ranked, like, super pimp. And, like, like they go up in their, like, sugar daddy rating it's so gross well, but these women are raking it in i, I read an article on crack.com yesterday about um strippers and the different kinds of ways that they're assaulted while they're at work so mm. i'm all for stripping online instead i yeah. seriously i'm in i'm in but not for your daughter no no <laughs> are you kidding she won't even wear shirts that show her belly so i'm like yes right. i did something right absolutely um all right so we're gonna segue into so Andrea and I went to Sandbox Summit a couple weeks ago. We actually had done a podcast from there where we called in with Amy. We interviewed a bunch of people, and we're just starting to kind of get through. There was so much content there. So we're going to kick off sort of covering this whole – the whole thing was about imagination and play and bring that back. We have an interview with Allison Bryant from Play Science. It was so fascinating, too. And I'll just give you yeah. a little spoiler. Well, not really a spoiler, <laughs> but, I mean, just fascinating in terms of the trends of – what parents buy for kids versus like a, a girl and a boy you know is it okay for a girl to have a play kids tablet but it's definitely not cool for a boy I mean it was just really interesting seeing the gender biases come out and Allison talks to us about that in more depth yeah about the hmm. gender about screen time about her own balancing and she's a real academic but she's also a mom of four so um, I always like when people have their academic hat on, but then they're like, here's my reality. Um, so we're going to listen to that. And then we'd love to hear what you think about how you manage screen time and if you treat your boys and girls differently um, when it comes to tech. Yeah, I'd love to know. Yeah, I so, can't wait to hear it. Let's hear it. Let's roll it. We're here at Sandbox Summit, and you presented some fascinating research about um, not the way kids play, but what they're playing on, the tablets, the devices, what parents think kids want, and uh, what kids really want. And I'd love to hear about that. Sure. Well, you know, we were looking at two to nine-year-olds, so that's still an age where their parents still are gatekeeping, right? We know that, obviously, a six to nine-year-old is definitely making more of their choices. So we wanted to know what were the perceptions that parents had just about the platforms themselves, not necessarily about content, to see what was going on with the gatekeeping there. So, you know, the, the key things that we found were, um, one, that, you know, tablets really have just taken off in ways that, you know, it's number one, no matter what age you're talking about, whether you're asking the parent or the child. There's a huge differentiation, though, between a tablet and a smartphone, which is very surprising because you would think they're both mobile devices and they both, you know. But there's something about the tablet where it imbues um, the sort of sense of positive sense of education and it's more for kids where a smartphone is still, you know likely because it is the parents, is sort of literally at the bottom of the list. So that was a big surprise for us. Um, we also found out um, things like, you know, education is just the number one value no matter what the platform is. And if, if, a pla if the parents don't 
see a platform as sort of imbuing educational value. It's a smartphone, it's a video game system. They're much less likely to choose it for their child to play. Um, I think for, for us the most interesting from a parenting perspective, um, finding was about gender and the way that parents are sort of using some relatively traditional gender biases when it comes to platform. Now we know we've known this from the toy aisle for a really long time, right? So it's like we've known this on other platforms, um, but we're seeing this also with technology now. So that parents are much more likely to choose child-friendly sort of technologies, what they're perceiving as child-friendly, which for a parent means safe and it means very user-friendly for a girl. For boys, they're much more likely to let the boy choose and that be their preference. So you're seeing things like smartphones and video games, which are really, really low on a parent totem pole, you know, of, of devices they like to choose. Well, they're much more likely, in fact, I think it's three times more likely to, to give that to a boy if he wants to play it. So that's that was really interesting. And I think in addition to that, the idea that parents are much more likely to use media to manage boys, whether it's to sort of pacify them, um, to soothe them, to get them to bed, or even to try to help them learn. They're just more likely to sort of use technology with boys, which there's a lot of questions that I think have arisen for us that we want to continue to do research on them. But from a parenting standpoint, it's sort of the question of, or, or almost the, um, the idea of, wow, maybe we should stop and think, you know, I think we're a little bit more conscientious now about other things that we do when it comes to boys and girls, but I don't think we think about whether I'm handing a tablet because you're a boy or you're a girl and clearly there's something going on there. Um, so I think that's a, it's a, um, a moment of reflection that we need to think about from parents. So this, the whole idea that a parent might um, give a girl coloring book or markers and say, here, you know, we're in a restaurant or we're in a store, just try to soothe yourself and find something to do and give a girl an activity, but give a boy a device. To me, that's just absolutely mystifying. And in fact, some of the things that we didn't talk about today were um, what girls were doing more of were reading and playing outside which are interesting because those are two hot button things that we know are issues with boys right now, right? I mean, not the boys aren't playing outside, but obviously we have obesity epidemic going on. And certainly we have a literacy issue with boys um, more than we do with girls. So, um, you know, it's interesting because it's, it's, there's two things that come up for me. One is, okay, well, if we are going to have boys using these media more often, then great, we need to know that and how can we create better stuff, right? So that's one side. The other side is, why are we more offline with girls? And are we missing something with boys? Or, I mean, is it more, is, are we missing that one-on-one -on -one time with boys that, that I'm helping you in managing? I don't know, there's so many open questions. Honestly, that has opened up the biggest realm of things that we want to find out more about. So I actually put that research out on Facebook earlier and heard back from all my friends that were moms of boys, like in 10 seconds. And one of them said something really interesting, which is she felt like boys like men need their tune out time more than girls, that they like have the man cave or the thing. So she sees it as it's almost like boys need that quiet time. This gives it to them in a way that maybe they can't get when they read or they just don't want to read and that it's more, I don't know, I guess she's, that's how she sees it. She Is perceives this, it that way. She perceives it as tune out time, like male tune out time that they all have. Like I think about my husband who comes home from work and like 
turns on the TV and just wants to flip, you know, and I'm like, put the guide on and see what's on. But no, he's like, has to actually flip. Um, so I wonder if that's part of it, which is interesting. No, I think it's absolutely interesting. And I also think it's interesting when parents sort of imbue adult, you know, behaviors onto <laughs> kids too. So it's always fascinating too. I think, you know, one of the things interesting for me is we also know that biologically, I mean, this is not just a social thing, boys are more active. I mean, they actually, the testosterone that's in their body, it makes them more you know, animated in some respects. So how ironic that we're more likely to hand a device that's a very kind of, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's sort of the extremes, right? That it's like, I don't even know what to do with this. You know, I'm going to sort of give you the opposite extreme that's going to keep your attention. So it could be something there where you're sort of reacting um, against that. Um, or, you know, they're sort of pressing those buttons a little bit more. And it's that, I don't even know what to do. Let me hand you, you know. But, but I think for me, again, the question is, I, I, what I want parents to do is be conscientious about this or conscious about that, both of those things, conscious and conscious, right? So that if they, if they are reaching for a tablet, they're thinking, you know, why am I reaching for a tablet to soothe? Mm -hmm. Why would you know? give crayons or markers? Right, exactly. Is what is it about that? Or why am I not having a conversation? Is it, you know, and I say this, we have, you know, five-year-old twin boys, you know, and a 12-year-old daughter. And, and, and it, it is a little bit different. And I, you know, I've certainly handed the tablet over to the boys, you know, I wouldn't say more. They probably also ask for it more. So there may be, you know, a bit of a, why are boys asking for it more? Is it because we've sort of trained them early on? I mean, I think that one of the interesting things for us was that, one of the interesting things for us was that um, this is something that, in some respects, I can see more of, I could imagine more of a tech choice for your child, let's say like the safety, the child friendliness for the girls. If they were older and you were worried about things like social stuff and, you know, this, all those fears that people talk about with girls. But we're seeing it with two to four four-year-olds that's not an age that you would imagine there would be any need for gender you know like gendered right. so that technology that that's what it's it is a parent like it's clearly a parent thing right so it's like you know, it's a vicious cycle but it's it's got to start with the parent right and I think we've got the chicken and the chicken and the egg and that's you know that it, it is the chicken <laughs> well Rebecca and I talk and, and go back and forth all the time in our in our um you know interviews and in our podcast about do kids use tablets made for kids obviously at the younger ages they do it's you know it's designed because you want them if they're going to smash it on the floor you don't want it to break so you've got the heavy duty fisher price or leapfrog or vtech um but do parents do parents really think that at a certain age a kid is still going to want the child tablet and why is it that they're giving those to girls and not boys? Is it that they don't want the boy to look like a sissy or a baby? I think they hope that their child will want to do it. And, and it's definitely, we also have a huge um, birth order effect on that, right? So first children are much more likely to maintain or keep playing on a child tablet than a younger child who sees the older child playing on their other tablet. And so they're like, you know, forget this. <laughs> I want to play on that. Um, I think part of it with giving it to girls is part of it may be content. And again, I'm not quite sure. I feel like, you know, we're seeing boys go into, they're wanting to play the racing games. And if you think about the content that's actually on a lot of those tablets, it's not quite as adventurous. It's it's more the learning games. It's slower paced. And so there could, could be, again, I don't know. There could be something there about content that's on it. Um, Again, I personally think that there's probably something very, very subconscious uh, still about girls in tech. 
um, where parents are just sort of assuming that their boys are going to be a little more tech savvy. And I think that's that projection of their adult sort of perceptions of technology onto it where, you know, this is this is you know my girl's gonna be able to get this better and you know and I hate saying that but I think we're sort of seeing a little bit of that play out in some of this um so I think there's something there um you know the, there's a clear 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 line though it's and it's and it's young we're talking about like four-year-olds five-year-olds is that line where it's sort of like but you know it also makes sense from a commercial standpoint because you now have with Amazon Fire was the big one that's just totally totally took down the kids tablet market because of the price point yep. you know you have games you have reading you have videos well why the heck would i go out and spend this and i'm gonna have to then buy cartridges or whatever else and it's guaranteed if they break it you just get a good case exactly yeah. right no exactly you know and so i think that um that where don't get me wrong because like the leap pad the most recent version it's sold gangbusters we're seeing a lot of grandparents that's also buying these right. that's been a that's been a it's a very grandparent thing but i think the big question for them is what is the value add that they're providing that you can't get. Is it the safety thing, right. right? And I think that that could be the big value add from a kid's tablet. You know, how can you keep the kids from going to all those other places and ending up on YouTube, which my one of my five-year-old sons will always end up at videos that I'm just like, what are you watching? That is totally inappropriate. Talk about education a little bit. I mean, I think most parents say, oh, I'm going to get this device and I'm going to let my kid play educational games so screen time is fine because they're learning how much of that is going on oh i think there's absolutely parents love to tell themselves that that is absolutely what's going on um and, and we see this not just um with that we see that with things like parental reporting features where if you ask and obviously we've done a lot of research on this and with parents and they will always say that they want parent reporting features and they want it very granular and all this kind of stuff and we also know all the analytics in the back end and they sometimes will sign up for it and they very rarely ever use it. So I think there's a lot of um, projecting of the ideal parenting into that. Now that said, parents do have access to more learning stuff, especially on tablets that we're seeing now. So I think they are taking advantage of it. Um, I think that there's a real desire for even better learning stuff. And I think that's where once you... Minecraft is a great example, right? Where, I mean, it wasn't built to be a learning thing, but there's so much learning that goes around, you know, in it. And parents are seeing it that way. So they're also saying, oh, wait. So they're letting their kids do it. So that has the learning halo on it. And so there's an exception, you know, there's an, they, they make the exception. It. Exactly, right? And, and they will. They will justify the second they can, right? That it's a learning experience. But that said, it only goes so long, right? So you'll say, okay, you want to do this, you want to do this. But then the reality is a child's preference, boy or girl, will play in if they come and say, but I want to play Anchorage, please, please, please. You know, number one thing is make my child happy, right? Right? Number two for parents, make my child happy is number one. Number two is make my life easier. So learning will do, you know, learning apps are fine until you get to that point where their child's unhappy or their life is uneasy, in which case they're going to go with whatever's next. So I, I totally agree with you. We've seen the same. And at Kids Views, obviously, like we have every parental thing in place and nobody uses any of it. We had notifications turned on when we first launched where they'd know every time their kid launched a video and every parent emailed us, turn this off. We, I don't want to know. I don't want to know my kid submits a video. So we're like, all right, trust us. Um, but what's interesting to me about that, so you, we all have parent guilt. We're all trying to find things outside that are bringing in. But at a certain point, education, this idea that all these games are educational or have to be educational, I think almost counters what can be really just 
just admit it. Like we all want to take time off, right? We all want to take a break in our day and play Candy Crush. And at a certain point, I think maybe as a company or as a industry, we have to do a better job of saying it's okay for your kids to like zone out and have fun. And I think that's what's missing from those tablets a little bit. And maybe kids sense that too, is that there's, so how are you guys working with companies to sort of, I don't know, help them consult with them that bring, it's okay to just be fun and not learning every second of them. Um, well, I mean, I think that, you know, for us, we focus on helping companies make a positive impact. And we're clear that that could be learning. It could be flow state, which is what you're talking about. You know, when you get in a flow state, it's actually a fostering of creativity, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like you are letting your mind sort of wander and go. So for us, there's no value judgment. It doesn't have to be ABCs and one, two, threes. It doesn't have to be this. It's everything is learning experience. Let's just be clear for kids, you know, everything they're learning from or there's some experience they're having. So it's just a matter of sort of thinking through that and what, what can your positive impact be? Right. Um, and there, you're right. There's nothing. My favorite quote was I was doing an interview years ago for my dissertation, which is on the history of children's television and how the industry had sort of evolved. And somebody who was the corporation for public broadcasting at the time said, you know, kids need their popcorn shows too. And I just thought it was a great, comment because you know it's absolutely true like why would we put the judgment right on kids that everything has to be educational when a they're in school a lot of the time they need a break now we I think what's interesting is we we see going outside and playing as a very positive break but you know if it has nothing to do with quote-unquote learning but we don't allow that same affordance for media right and I also think that We've kind of done that a little bit with TV. We've sort of said, okay, it's fine, especially after about five years old. Once they get to school, we're seeing a lot more of the affordance. Okay, they can just watch, you know, whatever they want to watch. But I think we're still, well, clearly there is because we're seeing it in the data. There's still this sort of interesting, oh, but if I'm going to give them this tablet, because I'm not interacting with them because it is an individual medium, right? It's not the TV where I can be sitting there and having a conversation, right? That there's still, that the tablet itself or the content needs to have some kind of educational value because I'm not adding that, right? You need to be doing what I'm not doing. Uh, Yeah, basically. (laughs) You have a newborn baby, two five-year-old boys and a 12-year-old girl. Are there rules in your house? <laughs> Not anymore. I love that. Uh, absolutely. No, there there absolutely are rules in that. Well, I mean, there there are. I think there are expectations. Let's put it that way. Um, the, the the socks on the floor is the biggest one, but that's a different story. Well, the boys are just socks everywhere. Um, no, there absolutely are rules in the house. You know, look. I think the reality is there are rules, and then there's just like we have for adults. There's the bending of rules and there's context and there's time. I mean, you always say, you know, oh, maybe 30 minutes for the tablet. Well, mom might say 30 minutes for the tablet. Dad's maybe not quite as good about that. Um, But I actually think we have less rules. I think we're much more context oriented than some. You know, if you look at the different parenting styles, I think we're, you know, interestingly, we're I wouldn't say lenient, but we sort of understand that it's more about how we moderate it than an amount, for example, or having these sort of steadfast rules. Because as you were just saying, you know, sometimes kids need more downtime one day. They've had a really rough day at school. You know what? That's okay, right? Um, But it's a matter of us being constantly vigilant about paying attention to what that media effect is, right? I mean, to me, that's what's important is just sort of 
constantly assessing, how's my child doing? What's that interaction look like? As opposed to saying, hard and fast rules are gonna make it different. It's like, it's like going on a diet or making a budget, right? It doesn't work for anybody, but how do you create sort of those reflective systems as a parent that allow you to sort of create optimal media use. Now, I'm not saying that we've optimized it and we, you know, we, we're certainly not the best, but I think that's what's more important. But that's a hard thing to teach, too, and figure out what that sort of internal barometer looks like. And that's individual. I mean, for families, that's very individual. But is there a way, can you, do you have any advice or guidance on being cognizant of that um, boy versus girl, how you treat the different genders in terms of technology? I mean, for me, it, in some respects, it is, it is like a diet, right? Um, the it's, it's a matter of, before you hand over that device, asking the question, sort of, why am I doing that? You know, is it because, is, is, is there another opportunity for me to do something other than necessarily handing over the device, right? Is there something else that we could be doing? And again, not that the devices should be the last option, but it's, a, it's more of a conscious choice of why am I doing it? Um, I think that the boy-girl thing, that's a bit of a broader question either. Um, for me, that's even at purchase points. Right? Why am I selecting this for my girl versus my boy? Or why am I not selecting this for my boy versus a girl? So I think there's a, a purchase moment question or probably an, an Amazon shopping moment you know, question when you're looking at the devices and thinking about what am I looking for and why is that? Thank you so much. Thank my you pleasure. for joining us. Thank you for all your insightful answers. My pleasure, guys. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Okay, so now we are going to jump into our digital dilemma, which is basically the fine line between monitoring your child versus spying Hmm. and where is that line and when is it about keeping your child safe and when is it just you are so freaking nosy (laughs) you should just back off so i think by definition or to me by definition this may not be textbook is monitoring means your child knows you're doing it Hmm. and spying is you're doing things and looking and your child has no idea that's just definition now, interesting. which, um, you know, I think monitoring is important always, 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 just as Dan said, you know, you need to be on their social networks, you need to follow them, you need to see what they're doing. I think spying is a little bit creepier, but I also think today when so many kids have problems with bullying and, um, you know, private messaging on Facebook and different social medium that I think... You know, I'm going to have to say that in some extreme cases, I do think if it's for your child's safety, spying might be okay. I remember the first time we spied on my son. I think it might have been one of the last times. Um, I think he was 9 or 10. We had just gotten an iPad, which I had won, of course. I don't buy iPads. I just win them periodically. (laughs) And this was our first one. And we didn't put any restrictions on him. We said, you know where you're not supposed to go. Don't go to those places. How old was he? 9 or 10. I think 10. And we handed it over, and then after a few days, after he was in bed, my husband and I sat down and looked at the search history. And one of the things that popped up was a search for women in bikinis, which I thought was the most hilariously innocent thing for a 
you know, a, a budding 10-year-old boy <laughs> to search for, we just collapsed into giggles. Like, it could have been so much worse, but that's what he searched for, was, was women in bikinis. And since then, it's just been monitoring. Since then, we've said, you know, look, we need your passwords. We need, you know, to be able to grab your phone whenever we say and, and look at what you're doing. And there's there's really been no spying. And no, so far... No pushback? Does he push back at all? Does he... Well, he still hasn't accepted my Facebook request, but uh, it's been like five months. But other than that, no. Like, he understands that we've given him a very, very long leash and that if he wants to keep the leash that long, he has to let us do our thing. And look, he's 13. You know, the leash should be very long at this point, And he has to learn how to deal with this stuff. Do you... Are you going to take away his Facebook account if he doesn't accept your friend request? No, because what I do is I just grab his phone and I look at what he's <laughs> posting. Like, that, you know what? If you don't want to be friends with me, that's fine. Let me see what mm -hmm. you're doing. Like, he just doesn't want to be friends with his mom. And I get that. But then I have to have access to it to see it. Right. And he posts stupid stuff anyway. I don't want to be his friend. <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't love you, but I don't want to be a friend of Facebook. I think, I mean, I agree. I actually think if you're telling your kids you're monitoring everything, I think actually they feel a little better about it. Like there's a safety in knowing that your parents are kind of looking out. I, mm -hmm. I think we've talked about this before. I always say like, make me the bad right. guy. You can yeah. say, no, my parents watch. Yeah. They know, so, my yeah. mom watches. I could never post that. I can never yeah. do that. So I, I forward my daughter. My daughter's emails are automatically sent to forward to me. Not the ones they send out, but any emails they get, their inbox automatically forwards to me. A copy stays in their inbox. I get a copy. I never read any of them. I could care less. They actually <laughs> don't get email, right? Because kids don't email anymore. So really what I get is a lot of like Korean makeup sites forwarding emails to me because that's what my daughter, all she does is sign up for all Fascinating. these Korean. Yeah, I'm like, oh my God. Um, but they did say to me the other day, like, we don't want our emails forwarding to you anymore. And I said, too bad. And they're like, why? And I said, because if anything were to happen, if you were going to be cyberbullied, if someone was going to send you that stuff, I'd want to keep that. Your first reaction might be delete. I want to have sort of a paper trail of that happening. And they were like, oh, if anything like that happened, we would tell you right away. And, da -da -da. and I was like, you say that now because you're yeah. like not even 13. Um, and I actually really don't think that's going to happen. I just have it on. Like it was set up that way and I don't mm -hmm. care. And it is funny to me because they don't use their email. Mm -hmm. I would rather actually see their texts. Yeah. And that is where all the conversation is mm -hmm. happening, whether it's in Snapchat or whether it's, you know, just in their regular texting. So would texting. you ever spy and go see their texts? I would not, but the agreement with their phone is I have the password to their phone. So I can always go through and I can look through their texts and, you know, I might do that once a week. I really also don't find any of that interesting and think they should be able to have those conversations with their friends that are goofy or silly or... My daughters, I mean, it's so funny. They'll take themselves out of group chats, you know, because they're just like, oh, it doesn't stop going or whatever it is. So they're not quite there. They like sort of like their isolation a little bit. But I would rather them know and know that I have all those passwords and feel safe because of it. And then if I use it, I use it. And if I don't, I don't. But there's yeah. no way they're getting, until they pay their own phone bill, I know those passwords. And the thing is, our kids are smart. Like, my son, he knows that I can go in and look at his texts anytime I want. I never have. But he could just be deleting them. Right. I have no way of knowing. So it's one of those things where you also have to look at the other behaviors of the child and hope that, you know, they, they don't have this whole other second life online that you don't know about. Right. And that's what's hard, right? Because... That's probably so tempting for a kid to have, and you just have to hope they're not getting into trouble or, or you know, saying things. But a lot of times when kids do that stuff, it's not a second life. It's usually a call for help, and they yeah. usually do want as many people as possible seeing their horrible, their video on YouTube where they're talking about killing themselves right. or their stuff on Facebook. 
Um, so yeah, I'm all for that. I don't. I think spying is sort of weird. Like, it, it's just a bad. That's a bad relationship. Why would you do that to your spouse? Well, it's a lack like, of I think trust. People I know who do that with their spouse. Yeah. Like, people used to sign into their spouse's emails Ew. or read their spouse's email. I thought like, wow, you have so many other problems in your mm-hmm. marriage if that's what you're doing. Yeah. Like my husband knows all my freaking passwords. Like I w- could care less yeah. if he looked at. It. Like I can't even imagine. I know all his passwords. Cause I probably set up half of them. Like you yeah, know? I know all my husband's stuff. Like he couldn't. He couldn't hide stuff if he wanted to. He once accidentally had his texts going to the family's iPad. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's part of it too. Like that's funny. So we're spy, basically all the IT person in our homes. So right. Yes, correct. Yes. <laughs> but if you have to spy on your kid, there's like a deeper issue, right? Yeah. Like then you need to be talking about your kid about other things because you feel the need that you can't even tell them that like. You know, it's this. funny. I mean, and, and, and I don't mean spying, but I, my son was, he did friend me on Facebook. That was one of the rules early on. And I did kind of get to, you know, have an overview every once in a while and see the kinds of things he was posting um, and what other people were posting yeah. to him. And to me, you know, it was never any issue, but I did kind of like to know that it was there and that I saw it. And of course, now he's older, he's out of college, he's in the job market, and he deleted his Facebook account. He's hmm. totally over Facebook. And I feel like, it, you know, I'm glad for that, but I also feel like in a way, it it has cut me off from an aspect of his life that I used to be able to know about without him sharing with me. Right. Because he still doesn't share it with me. Right. So it was a way for me to just kind of keep an eye on it. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, when he gets married and has children, he'll be back on Facebook. Right, exactly. (laughs) Using Facebook photos. Right. I don't know. It's interesting. Don't spy on your kids. Tell your kids what you're doing. That's what I would say. Yeah, that maybe that'll yeah. scare them into behaving. <laughs> or not. They don't have brains that think that way. But okay. <laughs> All right. Bites of the week, ladies. Amy, what you got? You know, mine ties in very well. I had actually planned this before I knew what our first segment was, but it ties in very well with it. Um, this was something that happened in the early days of the Internet. I don't even remember this happening, but it was a site called JennyCam. And she's basically patient zero for this whole idea of broadcasting your life. And she was a college student. She went to the college bookstore and saw that they had webcams for sale, so she bought one. And she said that it was just a programming challenge where she she wanted to challenge herself to write the code to update this camera every 15 minutes with a picture and put it up on a site. And it got wildly popular and you know, it was whatever she was doing every 15 minutes. And then eventually she she got a more powerful camera and more powerful computer. And it was updating every 10 or 15 seconds. And she started having dating problems and friend problems because nobody wanted to come into her room to do anything. Nobody wanted to be right. part of this really creepy, scary online life. And um, after pretty much consuming her life, she then just went cold turkey and like left the Internet completely. And so I'll, I'll post the link to this article. It was fascinating. She was a pioneer in many ways. Yeah, I remember really cool. that. I definitely yeah. remember that. So what is she? Is she back online now or just? I don't think so. No, I, th- I think that she just kind of left. That's it. That's Done with it. the Internet. Yeah. Over it. Cool. I'd love to read that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right, Andrea. What uh, mine, you got? Um, I didn't bring it, so we'll send a picture. We'll post a picture. But um, a lot of people ask me about this. You know, we, kids wear headphones all the time. Um, and we've talked, I think we've talked before about kids' uh, headphones made specifically for kids. Um, there's a new product coming out from Kids Gear. It's called the Kids Gear Deluxe Stereo Headset. 
of course, with a boom microphone. And I like the boom microphone on this because a lot of kids are doing interactive things or they're using voice control. And the microphone is just this flexible boom mic, but they're still kind of, you know, kid-sized headphones with really small ear cups. And of course, for parents, what's great is that if your kids are using them to listen to music or a movie or something, they have a volume limiter. So you can set the volume. I think you it can only go up to 80% of maximum volume. So it's a good way to talk to your kids about not cranking up the music while you're listening to it, not blowing out your eardrums early on. They're cute. They come in different colors. And we'll post a link and a picture on the uh, Parenting Bites Facebook page. Okay. So I was at such a loss this week. I was like, wow, did I not read anything, do anything, <laughs> go anywhere, listen to anything? Um, and I listened to so many podcasts. It's actually I'm not just doing a podcast. I actually really, really, really love podcasts. Um, and a lot of times people ask me for audiobook recommendations. Like uh, this time of year, I guess because it was spring mm. break, like, there were so uh, many people saying, like, I'm in the car for three hours. What's a really good thing to read with my kids, especially when they get a little older? So I am going to recommend um, David Sedaris <gasps> on any of his audiobooks. Yes. Um, and when once your kid hits, I'm going to say... 11, <laughs> although my daughters were seven. <laughs> so there were a few stories we sound a little fast forwarded through a little bit. But David Sedaris in the car, when you are engulfed in flames, um, dress your family in corduroy and denim, <laughs> any of them. Um, or if you can find old This American Life episodes with a podcast where he just does one story. There's like a few of them that are great. There's one in particular about him living in Paris that is just fantastic where he's obsessed with like the taxidermy <laughs> store. <laughs> um, they are so enjoyable. For the whole family, he is hilarious. Him, he has to read his own stories. Yes. I think it's totally mm -hmm. different when you hear him read them than even when you read them in the New Yorker. And I just think there's something about finally being able to share an audiobook with your child that's not a children's book. Mm -hmm. I, if yes. I, I'm going to tell you right now, those Percy Jackson books are painful. <laughs> We did one of them. I thought I really was going to like kill myself. We did. We did do Harry Potter on audio. Harry Potter's book. amazing. That was so with, awesome with in the Jim car. Dale. Oh, the voice. It. It Jim was, Dale's. Yeah, yeah. That's fabulous. I think one of the few. And I've heard yeah. also the Roll Doll that like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that uh, those are really well do done because they're short. We did too. most of the Harry Potter. But um, I highly recommend David Sedaris if you are have oh. those kind of kids who are kind of kooky, witty, funny. Um, they're just great, and you get to enjoy them too. <laughs> so that's my recommendation for the Good week. Good recommendation. Yeah. yeah, we'll put some links cool. to them. Um, yeah, and also there's podcasts. So if you want to listen to things with your children, maybe we'll do a whole segment like on like our podcast. Our, which I don't know if our podcast is <laughs> not with your kids. kids. But um, not that it's bad for your kids, but they're like, oh, the last thing. Maybe we could pull together about. a bunch for next week of, you know, podcasts that we recommend. Yeah, that you could listen to together. To, Certainly yeah. This American Life and The Moth tend to be mm. big winners. I have, I have certain episodes in particular that are awesome. So maybe we'll do that, too. But thank you. And until next week, um, have a good week. You should follow us on Facebook. Friend us on Facebook. Fan us on Facebook. Whatever you do on Facebook. Um, Facebook.com. to your kids on yeah, Facebook. Really. <laughs> yeah, your kids won't like us on Facebook. But Facebook.com slash Parenting Bites will have the links to everything we talked about today and pictures of the new headphones that Andrea talked about. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Parenting underscore Bites. But most of all, you should go to play.it slash Parenting Bites subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe there if you have any other phone or just use a different system. But rate us, review us, share us with a friend. We're going to launch a contest soon and we'll have the details of that soon. Mm -hmm. um, and that'll be really exciting. But till next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.